Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. This is Inside Exec. We're continuing our discussion with Brandon Wilson, and today we're going to dive a little more deeply into his book about sabotage, and particularly about leadership sabotage. I think the book also is a good starting point for the conversation, and it's a bit like we see a prevalence now of people talking about imposter syndrome. And it was never talked about before. You know, if we, we go back 10 years, no one would ever have mentioned it. And yet 90% yeah, of the leaders that we talk to have experienced it yeah, at some right. point. You know, that's we've right. experienced it ourselves. But now we're allowed to talk about it just in terms of, yeah, yes, I've experienced it, but I've moved on now. And so now we have a book that says, yes, I was sabotaged. And that was bloody awful at the time. <laughs> we say things like that in this country. <laughs> <laughs> This comes yeah. out without me thinking about it. And now there's a book, so it must be a thing. It must be yeah. something that I can talk about now. So well done on oh, producing, on making yourself vulnerable, I guess, in that sense of it, of sharing the things that you've been through and what you've learned from it as well. In that yeah. sense, now that it's been out for a little while, do you find that people are coming to you and saying, oh, that happened to me or I did this or I did that? Yeah, I'm, 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 it actually happened before the book was published, and and, and, the, and the the book is comprised of not only helpful tips and uh, and actionable things, but it's also composed of real life stories that are mostly not stories of that I've experienced personally. I mean, they're mm-hmm. stories of chief executives, of lead pastors at mm-hmm. churches, of high achieving, highly regarded academicians or administrators in colleges, universities, you know, you name them, nonprofit um, yeah. executive directors uh, who have all faced uh, sabotage. And, and most of them are, are all in, in different ways. I mean, they were, they presented themselves differently. And yeah. so by unpacking those stories of betrayal, theft, and deceit, you start to see the many colors of sabotage. Mm-hmm. And, and in backing up a little bit, I think it's important to, to work with definitions. Like what is sabotage mm-hmm. first? So let's start there. Uh, sabotage is any activity that seeks to limit, frustrate, or destroy a process or an outcome for personal gain. And you go all the way back to the beginning, it's any activity. And so when we start thinking about sabotage or leadership sabotage, and we read the title and we say betrayal, theft, and deceit, I thought really long and hard about that title because the first thing people might say is, is that I've never had anything stolen from me. Mm. I, I don't need this. I trust my network. Nobody betrays me. But what we fail to, to really think about and what you start to understand all the way in as early as the introduction in the book is that it's any activity. And so it's not just a theft of money where someone, you know, jumped from a helicopter into our office in a cloak of darkness with ninja suits on. (laughs) Where do you live? (laughs) (laughs) You know, in a James Bond movie, right? It's it's not that. You know, who who does that happen to? But what does happen to us is employee defiance. Mm. An employee who is persistently busy with their set of priorities. And every time you go to that person and say, hey, Wanda, could you help me do A, B, C, and D? And you have to work through the minutia of all of their triage priorities. And their goal or their activity seeks to frustrate 
your process for getting things done for selfish gain. And the selfish gain here is to leave me alone. I don't want to do any work. And they rob you of your outcomes of your leadership responsibilities. I mean, think about it in that way. I mean, it's like, oh, (laughs) that is sabotage. I never really, employee defiance. I mean, uh, or, I mean, I'm sorry, employee or corporate revenge is something that that is often where I will relegate you to to obscure and not important roles in your job because you said something to me that was, that I didn't agree with. Mm. Or even worse, let's have revenge by making you have to go through multiple unnecessary processes in order to get something very simple done Yeah. while the other people get theirs done really, really fast and you start to lose ground. That's sabotage. And so it's all around us. When we start talking about the many faces of sabotage, you start to see that it is at work even when we are not at work. And it's important to be able to recognize it because the thing it robs the world of is your incredible gifts as a leader. Yeah. If if Steve Jobs allowed sabotage to be successful, we would not have this incredible pieces of, of engineering and art that we use to elevate the way we engage with the world and how the world engages with us. Yeah. I mean, and, and you can have those stories are on, uh, they're more than just Steve Jobs. There's Martin Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. There's you know, transformative political leaders who defied those acts of sabotage or those limiting forces. And we, as a world and as a society, we're better because of it. You can do the same thing yeah. with the information provided within within my book. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, uh, you know, as examples, Nelson Mandela should be added to the group because they, now there's absolutely. someone who, who lived yeah. with sabotage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in the, that definition, what came to my mind straight away was a situation where it's like employee defiance almost. So you send an email asking one specific question and no answer. No answer, no answer, no answer. And so you've got to keep following up, following up, following up, taking you away from the leadership or the management of the, the other things that you've got to do. And, and that I would not have thought of that as sabotage prior to having this conversation but now I can see that it most definitely is that simple exercise that just no answer and so it distracts me from the other things that I need to be doing it's a powerful throw of the spear from an employee um, to use defiance especially the no answer because what it says all at once without saying anything is that you are unimportant to me yeah. And what you're saying is unimportant, especially when compared to what I have going on already. Was, yeah. It's quite, quite the powerful message. I was wondering what, when you said with a sabotage is for personal gain, and I couldn't work out in that example for asking them for something and you keep chasing up. And now I understand that their personal gain is to just tell you to bug off and that they're very busy. So, yes. Well, they may not be very busy. No, but they want uh, you to think they're busy because they don't want to do That's yeah. right. Because yeah. so there are a couple of motivations here, but specifically mm-hmm. for defiance. And there are levels to defiance. 
There are aggressive defiers, passive aggressive defiers and defiers by avoidance, which is what Mm. we're talking about. And they're all they're all very different and they look for very different things. One of their motivations is to hold on to the present. And and this is really important. To, the, to explain. And what I mean by that is, is, is you, you will, as a, uh, as a quickly rising leader within your organization or at your company, whenever you have a new role, you will find these defiers. They very much not like for you to be there. They have figured out a way to hack the old leadership. <laughs> they have groomed the old leadership to ensure that they don't get messed with. Their yeah. desk doesn't get moved, and that their processes stay the same. <laughs> and they don't want to. They don't want to change that. And mm-hmm. so let me let me use defiance as an act of sabotage against you as a new leader to get you to leave me alone, to not change my universe. And a very pronounced way of doing that is is you will find people who use uh, who use lying when their early attempts are not uh, respected. And they may indeed start to say, tell others that that leader has done A, B, and C to them, or mm. was rude to them, yes. or denied them access to whatever, in order as a as a last effort to remove that leader who is threatening their mm. sense of present comfort. That's one motivation mm. that the fires might look for. Other defiers might be looking to use defiance as a way of controlling an environment. And they do this by being the consummate volunteer for responsibility. And this may sound counterproductive. Why Mm. is that defiance? Because everything that you want done that you consider important, they'll raise their hand and they'll hoard it. Mm. They say, give it to me. They become the office delegator of all the things important. Mm. And, they, and they won't do any work. <laughs> so <laughs> if they touch the desk, they give it to someone else. They do it. But, and, and if you confuse that with management and don't see it as a form mm. of defiance, what you allow yourself to do is to have uh, the makings of a rogue va- uh, power center or power mm-hmm. vacuum mm-hmm. within your organization where that person, that defier becomes the supervisor, mm. becomes you and becomes yeah. the controller or the power holder yeah. of how things get done at what pace things get done. Mm. Uh, and so that's another motivation. And, and it's all types of motivations that's detailed in the book like that, not just for defiers, but all of the types, different types of saboteurs that we will face along our career journey. One of the questions that we sent you is about organizational ethics and personal disconnect. And we've had this conversation with a number of our guests over the years so between the two, so you've got organisational ethics and you've got your, your personal ethics and they're disconnected between the two. So where do you draw the line? Well, there's a line that will be drawn naturally. Uh, there, there are two laws that always, always, always correct the balance or the imbalance between a corporation's personal ethics and whether or not they are con- disconnected with you. And I even say the inverse. Your a corporation's ethics and your own personal unethical 
uh, compass. Yeah. Uh, even if it's the other way around. And, and those two laws are the laws of attraction and the law of replication. And so the law of attraction says this, the law of attraction says that when we walk into a room and we assume the role of leader, we instantly attract people around us who are who align with the things that are most important to us. And so when you walk into a company and you look around that company and it's filled with unethical behavior, it is likely because you are they are led by an unethical leader. People are only there because they are attracted to that environment. Now the law of replication comes into play in that once we identify what those valuable things are within that leader, those who seek to follow you or to not follow you have a choice. They can either replicate those values or not. And if they choose not to, they, they will find themselves on the outs of the organization, either pushed out by the machine that is the corpus or they will find themselves isolated uh, interpersonally within the organization, or they will find themselves uh, voluntarily opting out of the organization. So those two laws were always, always corrected. Now, what I, what I should add is that whenever you enter into one of those one of those environments, you are instantly at war with the culture. Every time you enter into any place, uh, there is always the dynamic of a wolf and a hen house. Uh, it is just the nature of our professional world. And it becomes more and more of that nature, the less and less the promotions become, the less and less we are working really for money, the less and less the titles really matter. And the, and the more and more it's about being able to carve out a place within your career and a place within your life that leaves you satisfied and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a dog eat dog world. I mean, it, it just is. And one of the early battles that we will all face as leaders is the sheer force of personality. Am I and my integrity strong enough to have an impact on changing this entire organization? And the organization saying, these are our traditions. These are our systems. We are not changing because of you. The meeting of those two forces have it out every time we enter or we introduce new leaders, new values, new people, new innovation within any company. And the leaders who are in place, who are the wisest, the ones who have mastered sabotage, who know how to identify unlimiting forces, uh, the limiting forces in our lives are masters at being comfortable in that kind of discord. Because that's when you get to see true innovation, true leaders unlock themselves and start to have an impact on where we go and how where we go and how we move forward as an organization. Quite fascinating, isn't it? You just get it is. drawn into the whole <laughs> web of intrigue. <laughs> All right, it, it does lead us on to that next question, which is talking about leading with transparency. So what is, in your view and your experience, the biggest challenge to being a leader that is transparent? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think the biggest challenge to leading, the biggest barrier to leading with transparency it's is just, ourselves. Just. <laughs> well, it's just, our, it's just us, right? And, <laughs> and I'll, I'll give a very simple answer to that is, is we take ourselves way too seriously. I want to say that again. We take ourselves way too seriously. And in doing so, we think the things that we make opaque in our lives really matter to people mm. if they don't <laughs> you know it's like you know the wizard of oz you know you you spend the whole movie the whole play waiting to meet oz right and, and you turn around it's like <laughs> that's it you know <laughs> that is much like you know our lives we care we care more than other people care about the, the things that we try to, to hide or limit access to. Uh, and I think that is the biggest, the largest, most bohemian barrier to, to leading a life of transparency is that we, th- we take ourselves way too seriously. And it is that sincerity to which we take ourselves that, that actually sets us up to become victims of leadership sabotage too. The reason why is when we have an over-indexed perception of ourselves, we tend to, to think that every opportunity that's given to us is a just and well-deserved opportunity that's being given to us. Mm-hmm. When, when actually one technique of saboteurs is what, what I refer to as the disingenuous promotion. And so if you ever want to get rid of anybody, uh, especially highly performing executives, what you do is give them a promotion with inadequate resources to do the increased number of set uh, of responsibilities. And if you see yourself as somebody who's really serious and I see myself seriously, I take myself seriously, you don't give yourself that moment to really question the sincerity of that opportunity before saying yes. And you walk right into the mouth of the bear. There's a great uh, insurance ad from a long time ago of a salmon jumping out of the, the, the stream and it's just in the air and then you sort of pan out of it and there's a big bear, grizzly bear, about to take a snap down on it. <laughs> we are like the salmon. And those disingenuous opportunity givers are the grizzly bears that we have no context around because we're not living transparent lives. If we were transparent, meaning that first we have to not take ourselves so seriously, we then pause and say to the person, even as they are giving us the opportunity, why me? Why, why am I your choice? You have thousands of people in your network. Why, why do you need me? And then you get the, the person who's doing it saying, well, don't you think you deserve it? And so then you get thrown back into the situation of, of jumping back into the bear's mouth as well because yeah. you're like, yes, of course I deserve it. No, don't take well, it away. Well, I, I am. I am. I will double down and to say I deserve to be where I am because just think about it. Every new opportunity, every time we grow, we are at a place where we are the least equipped to succeed. So deserving shouldn't come into, the only way deserving comes into play is if we are trying to satisfy ego because we we feel like we deserve. 
I actually double down and say, no, I don't deserve this. I am a musician. What you're asking me to do in this role is to be a mathematician. So my question for you is, is what can I bring to this role as a mathematician and get them to articulate that? And so when you go to that role, you now understand where you are in the mall map. Like I am here. Like I am a musician in this mathematician world and I'm being asked to provide this. And then because you are also wise enough to unlock the power of collective impact, you then know how to assess the talents of all those mathematicians around you in order to utilize them or their talents or leverage their talents in a way that accommodates all the things that align with your weaknesses. But it starts by you realizing first, what, what is it that you like for me to do genuinely Mm. in this new role? Mm. And when we don't live transparent or lead transparently, we don't even afford ourselves the minute to have that discussion. Time for a break in our discussion with Brandon Wilson about sabotage and leadership and transparency. Join us for part three of our discussion, but for now, I'm Kim Bailey. She's Juliana Osborne. This is Inside Exec, and we're talking with Brandon Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> 